Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 207. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. This is your host, Richard Ryerson. So happy, as always, that you're tuning into the show. Hey, if you're a fan of the show or if you're new, if you haven't done so already, please take the time to download this show, subscribe to it. It's available on all your mobile devices, your Android or your Apple device. If you got an Apple, go to iTunes. If you got an Android, download Stitcher. Leave a rating and review. It means so much for the visibility of the show. I don't know how the algorithm works completely, but I know one of the things it looks at is the number of subscribers and how many people are leaving positive rates ratings and reviews. So it means the world to me. Plus, I'd like to hear from you too. It gives me feedback about the show, what you think about the show. And I always love hearing from you listeners. Also, you can drop me a line at richard at doseofleadership.com. Let me know where you're at in your leadership journey. I answer every email, even though it may take me a while. Um, I will get back to you. And so I just love hearing where you're at and what you'd like to see on the show and what some of your leadership challenges are. You can also find my contact page at doseofleadership.com and reach out to me there as well. Okay, again, thanks for tuning in. I couldn't do the show without you. Thank you so much for your support. Well, i got to tell you, I'm really excited about this episode. I've been wanting to talk to this guy for a long time. It's Srini Rao, and he is the best-selling author and host of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. And he's got a great book out there, and um, I highly recommend this. I don't care if you're an entrepreneur or not, but if you're in the leadership realm, as a leader, you are a creator. And I don't want you to ever forget that. And he has a book out there called The Art of Being Unmistakable, which is a collection of his essays about making a dent in the universe. And, you know, between him and Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art, those these two books and Srini Rao's book, uh, The Art of Being Unmistakable, has done so much for me in the last year or so to really um, give me some clarity and alignment on my thinking. And if you're interested in leadership, and it's not about necessarily creating a podcast or being an entrepreneur, but if you're interested in leadership, and you know where I'm coming from, this authenticity and vulnerability is such a powerful currency for today's leadership. And um, Srini Rao really gets to that in his um, book, The Art of Being Unmistakable. And... The Unmistakable Creative Podcast is a highly recommend for me. I don't listen, I don't have a time to listen to a lot of podcasts with producing this one, but this one is definitely in my rotation and uh, I highly recommend it. I'm excited to get him on the show. He is the CEO, like I said, of, Un, of Unmistakable Media and the host of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. He originally started it as Blogcast FM. You may have seen that before back in 2010. And he's interviewed over 400 creative entrepreneurs, insanely interesting people. And, uh, I mean, he has people on his show like ex-cons, um, cartoonists, entrepreneurs, people like Seth Godin, Tim Ferriss, uh, Sean Acor, which has been on this show as well. And, uh, anyway, he's just a, a great, genuine, authentic soul. I think you're going to like this conversation. It's different than most, but um, it's one of my favorites, and I hope you get a lot of value out of this. And uh, if you're not a fan of Srini Rao, now you will be, I promise you, if you listen to the show and you go check out his stuff. All right. So without further ado, here's Srini Rao on Dose of Leadership. 
Sereni, welcome to the show. So excited to have you on Dose of Leadership. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, I got to tell you, first of all, thank you for the art of being unmistakable. I got to be honest with you, this um, coming across your stuff and Stephen Pressfield's uh, The War of Art, um, those, your book and, and your podcast and your beliefs and Stephen Pressfield um, have really resonated with me the last eight to 10 months and have really radically changed my thinking. So I just wanted to thank you first and foremost for the work you're producing to the world. So thank you so much. Uh, well, thank you. I mean, to be <laughs> in, in the same league as uh, Pressfield or to be compared to him, I, I you know, that, that's flattering. <laughs> well, educate my listeners. Uh, we, we could sit there and talk. I, I read your bio at the beginning of the show here, but give us a quick little cliff notes of who you are and what you're all about. Just a quick sn- snapshot. Yeah. Um, so as, as you mentioned, uh, you know, I wrote a book about a year ago. Well, now it's been more than a year. It's like two years uh, called The Art of Being Unmistakable. But, you know, to, to go a little further back than that, I, I was pretty much, you know, your sort of typical corporate path, uh, you know, conventional life path person, you know, go to school, get a job, go to a better school, get a better job. And that all kind of blew up in my face because I graduated uh, not into just one recession, but into two recessions, both from undergrad and graduate school. And so, you know, this career that I had built, which honestly was more or less a house of cards because I wasn't good at any of it, uh, and I'd been fired from all the jobs, really finally just came crumbling down. And I had to really, in all honesty, start my career from scratch. The the truth is that uh, you could really say that I started my career in 2009, not, you know, 2001, even though that's when I graduated from college because, you know, really the the entire earlier part of my career became pretty irrelevant. So I started, you know, tinkering around with online stuff when I was in grad school. One thing led to another and I ended up um, not only as a social media intern for Intuit, but after that working at an online travel company. But alongside all of that, I always started doing, you know, other projects. You know, one was a blog called The School of Life. um, And from that, we spun out this interview series called Blogcast FM because I always felt that something on the side was going to be an insurance policy because my own experience with the job market was nothing but instability and getting fired. So I thought, I'm like, I'm banking on somebody else. This is dangerous. At least this will give me some semblance of an insurance policy. So I started building this body of work and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger um, to the point where, you know, at this point, we've probably had over 500 interviews on the show, uh, which is now the unmistakable creative, which, you know, we went through this massive rebrand, which we can talk about. Um, We planned a live event called the instigator experience that we sold out last year. Um, which was a huge success. And then uh, what uh, ended up happening after that uh, is basically, you know, really probably the last, God, you know, year or 11 months has been sort of finding my way back to why, you know, we do the things we do because, uh, you know, in, in the spirit of transparency, I went through a very, very difficult time, sort of a separation of soul where a lot of, Things just went wrong in my personal life, and then the business started to suffer because of it. Uh, and so, you know, really, and also trying to understand what the hell it is we do to make money was one of those those stressful things. Because what, what what had happened is we had really done a good job creating this amazing brand, but we didn't build a solid, solid business underneath it. Right. We had a, a hodgepodge of really wildly successful projects, like the art of being unmistakable, like you know our our event, the Instigator Experience. The problem with that is that's not a sustainable way to to make a living. Right. And you know, the problem and, and when it, 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 but the thing is it's very, 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 um, seductive in appearing as if it is because, you know, it looks 
perfect. Like it looks like everything is going well because, you know, what you're showing on social media, what you're seeing in terms of results, like you don't realize that that's a te all temporary stuff. You know, you need to figure out some way to get to consistency. So really, you know, we, we've gone through pretty much a lot of what most people do, I think, um, you know, it, is just it's it's been a journey and, and, you know, like we've just come out of one of the harder parts of it. Yeah, I love what you said about the journey. We talk about that a lot. And again, this is something that I'm in transition with myself, too. I think. You know, going into this podcast when I started 27, 28 months ago, it was strictly to say, okay, how do I get more noticed in a noisy world? And the reason to get more noticed in a noisy world for me was so that I could start generating some uh, income and uh, uh, passive, semi-passive, whatever you want to call it, or even more speaking gigs and all that stuff. And what I found myself is particularly the first 12 months, I was so... Uh, maniacal about, and, and I, I don't use the word maniacal lightly. I was maniacal about traffic, uh, um, comparing myself to other people who started around the same time I did, and I just found myself in this really gross place. And um, I still have trouble shaking some of that off. So is that some of the same thing that you've, you experienced too, what I'm talking about there? <laughs> yes and no. I mean, I think I got through that phase of it probably uh, a bit, you know, like, I think I, I'm definitely beyond that phase. In fact, getting sure. beyond that phase what let, was what led to all of sort of the this sort of crazy, you know, um, accelerated growth and success because I stopped worrying about all those things. But I, I think, you know, um, I'm trying to think of, of the best way to explain this. I mean, it was like going from an extreme high to an extreme low. Like we went from, you know, just, you know, sort of not lingering in obscurity, but we went on this just rapid growth trajectory that went so fast that, um, you just, here's the thing, here's a good way of putting it. When it's going like that, you feel like it's going to last forever. And when it's going like shit, you feel like it's never going to end. Right. Um, and you know, I have to credit Kamal Ravikant for that because he wrote about that in his book, not in those exact words. So as far as the comparison thing, yeah, absolutely been there. Uh, and, and, you know, and that's also a really difficult thing given, you know, what I do is I spend my days talking to the smartest people in the world, most <laughs> right, of right. who are much better at what they do than exactly. I am. And so when that becomes the filter through which you view the world, it's actually kind of messy because somebody had to educate me on this. You know, a mentor that I worked with very closely, he said, you have to understand that the people that you talk to are not representative of society at large. He said, you're talking about the upper echelon of people who achieve things. And he said, when that's your filter through which you see the world, it's very hard not to compare yourself. And he right. said, and that's not actually very healthy. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, I, I'm not, I, I've definitely gone through what you're talking about, but I think the, the thing that I have gone through, was, which is a little bit different, is I have achieved, you know, a lot of the things that people think they want, and I've lost those things. I got you. Um, yeah. And that's, that's, that's particularly challenging. It, it, you know, I was talking to a friend, I, I don't remember who it was, somebody earlier today said, you know, sometimes it's actually a lot harder to fail after you've succeeded than it is to fail without having succeeded. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I think what I, when I talk about Pressfield's work and I talk about your work, uh, particularly over the last, I don't know, 13 months, I've come to the realization that for the better part of my life, I have been um, living an inauthentic life. Not that I think the last eight years I've really become more authentic um, and more vulnerable, mm -hmm. but I really hit a point where like, my God, I've been doing things because I thought this is what I was supposed to be doing instead sure. of pursuing... <sighs> The creative, I guess, and you know the the unmistakable side of me, and um, but I still find myself reverting back to, okay, that all sounds well, 
you know, get your head on straight. You're not a starving artist. And I, and I don't mean that. I don't look at myself as a starving artist, but I do look sure. at myself as a creative, which um, being 46 and turning, you know, not really thinking of yourself as a creative until you're 42, mm-hmm. that's a big transition for me. I don't know. Do, do you find people like myself who are like, oh my God, I am a creative. I'm not um, a by the numbers guy or whatever oh, the case yeah, may be. Oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, it's funny you say that. One of the examples, I think, um, and maybe you've heard this, it's in our archives. It's probably one of my favorite interviews I've ever done is with a guy named Eric Wall, who is a graffiti artist. Right. But I mean, he was a dot-com guy, you know, and a total suit. And, uh, you know, I mean, Eric Walls inspired me to try things that I would have never tried. And, and amazingly enough, it's had profound impacts on my work. Last year, I did a 30 day. No, this was in 2013. I did a 30 day project where I taught myself how to draw and my drawing is horrible. But the drawings you basically is what sparked everything that eventually became the unmistakable creative brand. Um, so that's that's really, you know, all that stuff. You couldn't have predicted that that's where it was going to lead, but it did. And now I'm actually basically playing in the garage with spray paint. And, you know, you've seen those spray paint artists on the street where they put those masks on and they're listening to techno music and painting these beautiful paintings. And I looked at that. I was like, I want to learn how to do that. (laughs) I went and got on YouTube. I was like, oh, okay. So I went to the store, bought some spray paint, bought some poster boards and a, you know, mask and just went in the garage and started creating stuff. And I was like, wow, I'm like, I've created some silhouettes. Like my, my goal is to paint something every day for the next 30 days. And I'm, I've never been somebody who paints and I don't know where it's going to lead, but I feel that it's important to do just because, um, to me, I think the fundamental shift in my work went from, you know, thinking like a marketer to thinking like an artist. And, you know, it's not, not that there's not validity to the marketing. Don't get me wrong. We, we review a, a sheet of metrics every week. We look at our numbers, but the, the work that we do, the, the production process of how we create what we create is all driven by a very artistic um, approach. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, when I talk about leadership, I think when, um, and I'm passionate about, uh, helping everybody, you know, and organizations and everybody pushing leadership down to the absolute lowest level. And when I mean that there's a creative process in that there is an artistic element to leadership that I didn't think was possible. I always thought it was more by the numbers or, you know, you follow these set of checklists and rules or you do these things or you act a certain way. And that's where the that's just total BS because it's kind of like what you say about um, that is all the egocentric driven or it's the ego telling you that, you know, this is who you need to be. And I think the more that you can strip away your ego, like you talk about in the art of being unmistakable, the better mm-hmm. leader, the better, I don't know, person, father, husband, spouse, citizen, friend, leader that you can be. Does that make sense? What I just said? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so so this this is actually a really really good point um, in terms of you know talking about authenticity, vulnerability, and transparency, and it's it's a delicate balance, one that I've I've wrestled with a lot over the last year or so, um, partially because I've dealt with some very very difficult things that I, I felt were hard to talk about, and yet I noticed when I talked about them, more people came out of the woodwork. Right. Uh, to to say they could relate, and I'll I'll be very candid with you about this. Um, you know, I. I it turns out, you know, like the the stress level that I had experienced kind of put me into a pretty bad sort of depressive place, which I'd never experienced before at the level that I had. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm like, I should be well adjusted, normal, you know, and like apparently, um, you know, apparently, you know, entrepreneurial stress is nothing new. That's that's quite common. Um, and, and it turns out, you know, there's a really great podcast called reboot.io where they actually talk about the emotional journey of entrepreneurship. And this is one of the, the, the challenges that a lot of people face, but it just, you know, a lot of it put me in this very, very dark place and I, I couldn't figure out how to get out of it. And I didn't know how to talk to anybody about it. And, you know, this is the first time I've actually talked about it openly on a podcast, but 
I noticed that the more I shut down and the less that I, I let, you know, I, I just kind of cut myself off from the world, the worse things got. Right. Um, and, you know, and that's a delicate balance because your audience is not your therapist. Like you just, you can't, you know, you don't want to treat them like that. And at the same time, you've got, I think there, there's a level of responsibility that comes when you, you choose to do something that's in service of other people. And so you have to find that balance. But the, the point being, I think that um, it's, it's very, very dangerous you know, what we do in the online world is we look at the people that, you know, have these massive presence and I, mine is nowhere near massive and we put them on a pedestal and we project superhuman qualities on them, forgetting that they're as, you know, capable of, uh, you know, being demolished by life circumstances as any normal person. No, oh, that makes, Oh, I love that you said that. I mean, I, I just was thinking about when you were saying all that, you know, um, and this, I mean, really, this is something I've been struggling with, especially if I'm trying to sell an online course mm -hmm. or if I'm offering my, offering my services to go to my web, website about me. I mean, it's, don't get me wrong. It's not a lie. It's not inauthentic, I guess. How do I even say this? It's, it, but it's still not the no bullshit version of me. Does that make sense? <laughs> Does that make sense? And oh, it, yeah. But th there's a fear, though, of saying, okay, if I put the no bullshit version out there of me, Will it resonate with anybody? It, it, there's a there's a, a big voice on my shoulder and in my head saying, "Absolutely not. Nobody's gonna want it. Nobody's gonna want the no bullshit version of Richard." But the the more that I've done what you just said, uh, mm -hmm. the more resonance I've created, or the more connections, the more resonance, the more all of the good things seem to happen when I do that. But at the same time, it's a del like you said, if I share too much. Right, exactly. Like there's, you know, some, I, was, I was talking to somebody who was like, yeah, you're not going to hear stories about my sex life. It's like, yeah, that's inappropriate. Nobody needs to know that. Right. That's, somebody was telling me about that on a podcast. And I said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, I, I think you're, you're right. I think the thing that's interesting what you, about what you said is that, you know, nobody's going to resonate. And I, my, my argument is actually it doesn't matter if it, what matters is that the right people resonate. Exactly. And the right people will. Yes. Yes. You know, the people who are supposed to find you are the ones who do. Like our tribe is not, you know, massive. There, there are podcasts who started after us and they're much bigger um, by the numbers. But if you go and look at what people say versus yeah. what people, you know, what people say about some of them versus about us, I think that what we have really is uh, a very fanatical and tight knit tribe, like one that just... And, you know, and to me, that's that's always been very powerful. And I've never been willing to compromise that um, in service of numbers. Uh, I love that you said that. Well, that makes me feel good, too, because I that's where I've you know fallen in the trap of saying, well, I'm comparing myself to and it's apples and oranges. I mean, it's like you said, the right people will find you. And you're absolutely right. I mean, and I've and I am authentic on this show. I mean, and I think that's one thing where I get, you know, I certainly when I first started the show. It was so nerve wracking and I had my list of questions, but the more that, like you said, I've kind of, this is who I am. I'm not going to be afraid of it. But at the same time, I'm thinking, you know, even when I try to sell my leadership services and my speaking services, and that's me. I mean, again, I don't, I'm not selling a false bill of goods, but I'm still, there's still a level that I haven't shared with everybody yet that I want to share, but I'm afraid to share. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, definitely. Well, what do you think, what do you think uh, from a, you know, you come from, um, like you said, you did everything you're supposed to do, upbringing, parents taught you a lot of discipline, great things. You're going to school, you're getting educated, it's not working out, you're passionate about surfing. I got a daughter that's getting ready, to, she's graduating, going to college, going to go to the University of Kansas. 
mm-hmm. this year. And I'm just wrestling and thinking, my God, why? This is such a waste. And and I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to discourage her, but I see her wrestling with, my God, if I don't do this, then I'm not going to be successful. And I right. get it, but I'm like, ah, how? Do, in a, I don't know. It's it's a very challenging time for you to watch her. And my mindset is so different than it was ten years ago. And I'm looking at her and thinking, you don't have to succumb to this what do, what would your advice to her be do you think oh boy do you really want to go down this rabbit hole with me i mean well, you've heard my podcast yeah i mean you know education is such a hot button for you i mean i know it is I well mean, it is because i am a failed byproduct of the system um here's the thing right uh i guess the big issue I have with it is that it's a one-size-fits-all solution designed to produce the same output over and over again, right? And the problem is that if you don't happen to, you know, be a master of universe who thrives within that system, then it really is is, is not, you know, the ideal situation for you. In fact, let me, here, here's what I've said. Okay, so I was writing this this morning and Feel free to edit if you, if you need to, because it might be kind of obnoxious. Uh, big egos, padded resumes, and the aspirations to become a big swinging dick are not only revered in these institutions, they represent the pinnacle of success, achievement, and the role as a valuable member of society. It doesn't cost as much other than our humanity and a lifetime spent failing to live up to our true potential when our talent is mismatched with our environment. Right. And that's, in a nutshell, what I think of the experience I had at Berkeley. Uh, like, literally... I look back and the problem is that the approach to education is based on just, you know, feed these people information, let them regurgitate. And if they happen to be good at regurgitating, we can place them in, you know, the investment bank and management consulting firm or wherever it is that they belong. And if they don't, we'll place them lower on that food chain. And the problem is that that's all irrelevant now. None of that matters. You know, none of it means anything. And the big swinging dick job is no, no is nowhere as desirable as it used to be. It's not the only path to happiness and wealth. Not that it ever was a path to happiness and wealth. Um, so one of the things that I think college gets really wrong is this idea of, of talent, you know, mismatching talent and environment. And it doesn't, and, and the, a big part of the reason for that is that we have gotten this idea in our head that the point of going to college is to get a job. But we're seeing now that going to college doesn't even lead to jobs for most people. It just leads to a lot of debt. And so once you take that out of the equation, you're like, okay, well, what the hell am we, what, what, what are we here for? It's like, well, to binge drink and have sex? Good. <laughs> At least you're finding something useful to do while you're there that will actually probably cause you to grow more as a human being than the experience of going to class. Um, now, I'm not encouraging you to tell your daughter what I just told you. but No, I uh, know. But, I mean, it, it is one of those. And this is what's frustrating to me because college to me or universities or higher education, it is one of the last bastions where if you get the right environment, the right um, mm-hmm. curriculum, it is the, one of the – it can be a great place where at least people are encouraged to live out their dreams to, to an extent. So that's – you know, so here's what's interesting, right, is if we designed it the right way, it could be that. Right. The problem is that – the, the way in which you choose classes and the way in which you choose a curriculum is not a values-based approach. It's an approach that is based on a projection of some career in the future that probably doesn't even exist and probably won't happen. I only know this because that's exactly the way I thought. I mean, what the hell do you know about yourself at the age of 18 to make lifelong decisions about your career? Right. Uh, so what my one big piece of advice, and this is, this is and I'll, I'll tell you this through the lens of a recent experience that I had, even with online education. 
So I was perusing Skillshare recently and I was like, okay, you know, here's all these classes I could take. I'm like, what would I take out of these classes? Like, okay, you know, so that the standard stuff being the person who does what I do is like, oh, you know, maybe I could take a class in, uh, you know, marketing or whatever. It's like, oh, maybe I could take a class in, you know, web design. And then I landed on a class on hand lettering and I'm like, okay, this seems absolutely useless. <laughs> And yet it's the one thing I'm actually genuinely curious about. Right. And so uh, what I thought to myself is, wow, I'm like, instead of coming into Skillshare and looking at things that might have some practical benefit, what if I chose to do the things that just stoked my curiosity or sparked my curiosity? And that's actually what led me to this weird sort of you know, now spray painting project in which I went and bought a bunch of poster boards and just started spray painting stuff like sunsets and palm trees and surfers and silhouettes and it's funny because it's it's waking up a different part of my mind that I wouldn't otherwise get you know get tapped in tapped into if I just sat in front of a computer so my big piece of advice really would be go in there without a map embrace the fact that it's a compass and go and figure out what you're curious about let your curiosity be your guide through college that's what I would say to your daughter and I agree with you and I like it because nobody I know and self included is not even using the degree I, I, I don't do what my degree was in and I think that's okay I mean my experience was great my experience in college was great and I, I don't it, it can be so much more than what it is right now I mean I was so disappointed when I went up and we were daughter debating which college she wanted to go to or which mm -hmm. university to go to and she she's passionate about animals and, and um, wildlife biology. And we met the dean or the head of the, the, the biology department. And the first thing he said when he sat down, a nice guy and had all his you know credentials on the wall, and he's been a professor there for 25, 30 years. And he says, my, he goes, what do you want to do? And she laid out her passions and kind of dreams. She says, well, he goes, my thing is, my biggest concern is I want to make sure that you have health care when you get out of here. <laughs> and I was wow. like, what the F? What do you, Really? That's, that's your biggest concern as a dean? He goes, because, you know, it's great to have all these, I'm paraphrasing, but he's basically, it's great to have all these dreams and aspirations of where you want to work with, but the reality is there's no jobs in what, she, he was saying there's no jobs in what you're passionate about right now. Mm -hmm. So you need to go yourself in this little box and get a degree and get your research done so, here. And that's, that's another problem with people in education. They're, they're actually, like literally, they are crushing dreams. Right. Uh, there's a really, really great story in, in Seth Godin's book, Leap First, yeah. where he talks about going to give a talk at a community college. And this woman actually says, well, you know, all this stuff about doing work that matters is great for, you know, certain people. But at a college that, you know, we're at, we have to let everybody in. And the sooner we tell them that they're not going to be able to do work that matters and they're not going to be special snowflakes, the better off they'll be. And he said, you know, it, it was amazing. He said he cried. He said, imagine that this is a person who's been in education for so long and yet she felt her best service to the students there is to do exactly what this dean has done to your daughter. Yeah, it's just terrible. Like, yeah. let, let me play devil's advocate from what you said. Okay, so you've kind of went where your curiosity was taking you. Mm -hmm. You've started the spray painting project. You're seeing, you don't seen where it takes you and it leads you. Okay. So the guy that's listening to my show right now, who's has a business and he's got payroll to meet and employees to meet and he says, sure. what does this have to do? I mean, that just sounds, you know, crazy, crazy. What, what how am I going to do that? I got re, you know, mortgages to pay. I got people that, you know, are dependent upon this job sure. and, and things are, I mean, how does that guy resonate with what you just or that, okay. that kind of so mindset. Here's the thing, right? Is that almost all our breakthroughs, at least for me, what I have found is that every big breakthrough I have had from my work 
has amazingly enough come from weird projects that have nothing to do with my actual work. Right. And that's because they engage a completely different part of their brain. Like, you know, sitting in the garage and painting, you know, with a mask on and drinking a glass of whiskey, that puts me in a very different mind state. Like, let's say I need to write something or write an email or write a copy. Like, where do you think I'm going to come up with more creative copy? Sitting in front of the computer, banging my head, looking at everybody else's copy or going in the garage and engaging a different part of the mind that basically shuts off the chatter and brings you into sort of this present place. So, I mean, to the person who makes that argument, I would say that really um, it, it's about a willingness to explore, be curious, and, and engage a completely different part of the brain, which to me is where you start to have real breakthroughs because you know, the thing is like those kinds of breakthroughs don't happen in a linear fashion. And so, you know, you've got all this mechanical stuff you have to do, but this isn't about replacing that stuff. This is just about complementing, you know, that, that yeah, kind of stuff. Right. So I, I think absolutely like, I mean, 30 days of drawing impacted the unmistakable creative brand in a way that you, you would have never imagined. I mean, I had a whole other appreciation for the visual art and I could see things that I couldn't see before. Like when we got the first version of Unmistakable Creative uh, sent over from the designer, I said, I hate this. I'm like, and I can't figure out why. And, you know, first he had me go and get all these stock photos for the icons and all this stuff. And, I, you know, I perused. He's like, oh, you're great at finding stock images. And I'm like, yeah, OK, whatever. Uh, but I looked at it. I said, something's not right here. And I could tell. And I said, I know what the problem is. I said, all these icons need to be hand drawn. And I said, we should have, you know, our friend Mars Dorian draw the icons. I'm like, we're already having Sarah illustrate album covers. I said, I'm like, that's what's wrong with this site. It doesn't have any art and it has no soul because of that. And had I not taught myself how to draw for 30 days, it's entirely possible I wouldn't have seen that the way I did. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I think it, you know, I, th I think it's, and, and I, and I say this in business because I think this is where even in corporations that I've worked in and, and helped coach, it's not about always finding the right answer. I would mm -hmm. be more better pressed if you found a more creative or interesting answer than the right one because mm -hmm. that that breaks up the status quo. I think it, people are so afraid to break up the status quo. They're so afraid to live on the edge of the comfort zone. But the, being out of the or you know being outside of the comfort zone that's where life really begins and that's for business and for your own personal journey as well it doesn't matter i think that's what we we become so um used to celebrating mediocrity in every aspect of our life that's what that's what really pisses me off is that we've become to the point where we just celebrate mediocrity i would rather you know press for 100 and be disappointed i got 85 than set 40 and celebrate I got 35. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. I just think that when you release that kind of, um, like you said, that created that willingness to kind of, you know, take it a different place and find an interesting answer instead of a right one, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that, that definitely is, is where you get really cool breakthrough work that you would have never come up with. So what do you think that is, are we heading to a place when, when you know, when my daughter graduates college, do you, are things happening exponentially? If you had to look at a bigger picture, at a macro level, level mm -hmm. what is happening to the globe and to business? I mean, where are we going to be in 10 years? Do you think like that? Do you look that far ahead? Boy, that's a, that's a really good question. Probably the most interesting one anybody's ever asked me on an interview. Um, and I feel like totally unqualified to answer it. I'm like, wow, this sounds like a question you should ask Peter Diamantes, not me. <laughs> right. uh, 
so you know uh, on that note I'd, I'd recommend that you read his book bold but, yeah uh yeah, I mean, after reading that book, I definitely do think about it. Where are we going to be in 10 years? Wow. Uh, I think a job as you know it is going to be gone, um, at least in, in the current way. Like, you're going to have companies and, you know, there'll be maybe, maybe there'll be jobs, but I think it's going to take less and less people to do bigger and bigger things because that's what we're, we're doing with technology. And, and, you know, there's all these technologies that are changing things so quickly. Uh, if you think about it, like what we do, what you and I do, you know, five years ago, not even maybe let's say 10 years ago, you would have needed to own a radio station, right, exactly. like airwaves. I mean, the amount of capital and infrastructure to pull off what we're doing today, um, you know, and to connect with an audience of thousands of people, it, it just it wasn't possible. And to, like to think that every single day, thousands of people around the world listen is is nuts. You're like, yeah. OK. That's crazy. Like we're in a we're in a situation where I can find thousands of people to consume what I do. So I think that what you're going to have, at least in in my, you know, sort of mindset, is a combination of two things. These sort of micro economy ecosystems, like the ones you and I are building, where people make a living. Um, here's the thing, right? The people who are building sort of the the lifestyle business or the the coaching business or you know the the little brand. Are they going to be rich? Probably not. None of them are going to become the Mark, next Mark Zuckerberg, but they don't need to be either. That's the thing, right? It's right. A, it's a whole whole different option. I mean, there there is some question as to whether the personal brand is a, a sort of saturated idea. Um, I think it's in right now in a state of flux. I actually think the whole podcast revolution is nonsense. Um, and you do, that you know that's it's a whole soapbox. I think that there are a lot of bad shows being produced because right. um, it's a bandwagon and a trend. And I think that once people realize that it's actually work to stand above the noise, you'll see. My guess is the attrition rate will start to increase pretty significantly within the next year. Yeah, uh, you're going to see a lot of people just drop off that that won't won't make the cut. Um, <clears throat> because it's just you know when, when they see that it's not sustainable, that they're not getting the results that they want. Uh, then, you know, I mean, the first year is easy. The second year is easy. I think, you know, like I, I know there are people who started blogs when I started, you know, in 2009, none of them are around anymore. Right. And, and that's, that's, you know, you gotta, that's just kind of the, the, the law of averages. Like, you know, people will just get shaken out. Uh, so, but that being said, so you're going to have, I think you're going to have more opportunity than ever before. That's, that's, what's going to be really interesting. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think that, you know, and I, I fluctuate, you know, and it depends what I watch and what I consume. And right. that's why I check out. But I mean, I think sometimes you could almost just, it could be so overwhelming and scary and depressing. But I, th yeah. I, I, I have a sense of optimism that I didn't have five years ago. I don't know if you have the same thing, but. Um, yeah, well, no, I, I definitely have more of a sense of optimism um, about what's possible than I did when I graduated from business school. Like if I knew that <laughs> this was where it could lead me, I would have been like, cool, glad I don't have a job. Right. Um, like I, if I'd seen. And to some degree, I did see the possibilities. I mean, obviously, if you don't, if you don't, you know, if you don't end up here, if you couldn't have seen any vision for it at all, um, that's 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 the thing. Like, I think part of what has always kept me going is that I just always saw a vision for a, a really awesome future. Uh, you know, and I and I I was willing to pay whatever cost that 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 came with. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that resonates with me because I think that's what's happened to me, particularly over the last since I started the podcast. I've been I've become what. What I, I there are things that are, that I didn't think were possible. I, yeah. I think things are possible now that I didn't think were possible. I guess is the way to say it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that's that's really what you know. You you get a window into a world of possibility. You know? Do you consider yourself a leader? 
That's a good question. Uh, boy, and there's no right answer to that question, really. No, there's not really. But I mean, I just, I mean, I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't know that I like that label very much. How come? Partially, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. Um, it's kind of like you can, you can, you know, you can take a horse to water, but you can't force it, force it to drink, right? Right. And to feel that you're responsible for the outcomes in people's lives based on the content you're creating, that's that's a little. I mean, that's a little nuts, right? right. I, I I think like. I mean, if somebody listens to the podcast and and get believe me, this has happened. We've had people who have done well enough building, you know, enough of a, a level of education from our show that they've gone and quit their jobs. But when somebody goes and does something and uh, it doesn't work out based on something they've learned from work that I've created, and to say, okay, you as a leader failed because I didn't get my outcome, that's a tough one for me. Um, and so I think that I look at it more as a guide than a leader. Don't get me wrong. There are moments like when it comes to the team that I work with internally. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, when we put on a live event in that moment, yeah, I become a leader. Um, but I just I don't. I, so here's the thing. And you know this. If you've read my books, you know, this is one of the things that I'm not big on is I don't like this idea of gurus and, you know, heroes and pet, you know people on pedestals. Right. It just kind of drives me nuts. And. You know, and that's that's one of the things that we really had to drill into the heads of people often, you know, like when we did a live event, it was really interesting to see how you could tell that there were people who had aspirations to become the people who were on stage. They right. didn't see themselves as equal. Right. And I think that's the case in almost any audience. Yep. Um, they feel that, OK, there you're up there. I'm down here. And I think that that's dangerous. I think that it it sets unrealistic expectations. It actually... I think it sets people up for disappointment when they actually could go and just do their thing. And, you know, if you end up there, great. Uh, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't have goals. Uh, and I'm rambling here because I, I really don't have a proper answer to this question. Like, I'm not very coherent about it because I just have a lot of thoughts. Well, uh, what I would challenge you with, though, is I think that it goes back to a lot of what I talk about, what what I, drives me crazy when it comes to the concept of leadership. Again, people have this idea in, in going to those people who – you know they're in love with the 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 idea of being a leader in what in their yeah. mind instead of actually being in love with leading and right, being right. in love That's with a good way of putting it. yeah and being in love with leading is completely different than being in love with the idea of being a leader and mm -hmm. most people are in love with the idea of being the leader and you are a leader by the way in the sense that <laughs> in, in the sense that you add tremendous value to people's lives and you put it out there which takes a tremendous amount of courage anybody that does anything creative and puts it out there is a courageous act. And if anything that makes your throat tight or your stomach in knots and you push forward anyway, to me, that's yeah. someone being, and they're being authentic with it and they're doing it for reasons to simply add value to somebody else's life and not expect anything in return. Sure. Then that's leadership. And the problem is you're right. And <clears throat> what drives me crazy is thinking that organizations need to be led by some charismatic genius. That's not what mm -hmm. leadership is about. Leadership to me is about spreading it through that entire organization, what you believe, by the way, and getting people um, to make decisions at the lowest level. And therefore, you create an intelligent organization that doesn't need to be led by select individuals or what this charismatic genius. It's about raising the performance of the average because right, that right. that's... 
So that's how I see you fitting in the leadership role. I don't know if that means anything to you or not, but that's kind of... Yeah, no, I, that definitely resonates with me, and I, I really appreciate that you think that. Yeah, because, and that's what people don't... That's the misconception, I think, why we, you know, our, our political leadership or business-level leadership is so screwed up. I mean, mm -hmm. Simon Sinek gets it right. I mean, he he sees what we're ta what I'm talking about. It's like, and that's what the Marine Corps... And I, I talk about the Marine Corps a lot. That's where I come from. That's what the Marine Corps is like, by the way. It's not about, and if you question it, think about, when you think about Army, you think about those, the Pattons, the MacArthur's, and the larger-than-life figures, right? And the, can yeah. you name one charismatic Marine Corps general? I don't think you can name one. True. It's always about, you know, Sergeant Bassalone and, you know, the people who mm -hmm. are down there in the trenches coming out of the mud, right? That's, yep. that's for, to me, what it's about. Anyway, yeah. now I'm rambling, but... <laughs> No, that, that, that was a fair question and, a, and a, really, a really interesting one. Well, I hope you consider yourself a leader because you are. Because you're adding Thanks. value. It's about adding value. That's, that's the whole point, I think, that people need to understand. That we're all, we can lead from any, from any position we're at. If we're adding value to somebody else's life, that's leadership. That's what it's about. Awesome. Well, gosh, what is, um, God, I could talk so much stuff to you about. But what, is, <laughs> what, is, what are you excited about right now? What is going on? in uh, your world that you really want people to know about? Yeah, so um, I, I don't know when this is going to come out. Right now we're working on a writing project, which you know, if you're listening to the podcast, you've heard me talk about called The Compass. Yep. Uh, and what it is is a combination of design, illustration, uh, and writing. I wanted to see what would happen if uh, I could take a written piece and really bring it to life in a very artistic form. And not just create an ebook, but the idea was, you know, I went to my, my uh, designer, Laura, and I said, listen, I don't want to create an ebook. I want to create a digital experience for people, something that begs to be shared, something that people can't stop talking about, or that the people who do receive it feel that they're so touched by it that they need to send it to somebody else. And that's all I want. And what matters to me is that the 200 people who signed up to receive it just completely love it. As far as the rest, we don't know what's going to happen. You never do. Um, but, you know, th this is actually largely about sort of the, the journey that I've been through uh, from, you know, rising to the top of a mountain and falling all the way down. Or, you know, as I, I've recently joked, you know, flying as close to the sun as I could possibly get and having my wings catch fire and fall <laughs> in the sky. Uh, and, and then, you know, you know, finding my way back uh, to to getting, you know, back in, in touch with why this was so important, why I did all of it in the first place, uh, because somewhere along the way. It, it, it's funny. Uh, I remember, and I'll tell you the story. This is one of the things that I mentioned in the compass, my editor, Carolyn, I remember when the book, uh, you know, started to take off and she sent me a Facebook message and she said, I just want you to know that you should never forget the guy who has said he would be happy if he sold 300 copies of this book. Mm. And it's that was the day that it hit, you know, we, we found out about the whole Glenn Beck saga. Right. And I completely forgot about that guy. And that's awesome. Easier said than done. Yeah, right? for sure. You, it's easy. It's way easier said than done because once you're in it, you're in it. I mean, it was like, you know, the glory days. I mean, I was, you know, uh, I was in the spotlight and in the spotlight, you can go really blind. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a good insight. That's, that's really what, what it is. And I think, um, you know, I, I was, this quote was going on in my head when I was in, in Costco filling a prescription. Now I can't remember what the hell it was, but it sounded really good. Uh, in my head, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it had something to do with like experiencing a series of losses um, to figure out what really matters. But my my so that that's really the big project that I'm working on right now. I'm in talks with a publisher uh, about a book deal. Uh, they had reached out based on something I had written. So we're we're talking about a book about creativity that I think really will sort of be the unmistakable creative bible. Um, you know, we're we're working on a bunch of other projects right now as well. Uh, you know, like different things. I, I think I'm back in that sort of phase of experimental creativity that I was in, you know, before all this madness started. And, you know, also at it, trying to figure out what it is, is the, the, the final business model. So that's, that's involved looking, you know, for consulting projects. So we're working with people on, on one thing right now, which is um, learning how to take anything and make it unmistakable. And that's yeah. really kind of our forte. And that's, that's what we do best. You know, we can take damn near anything and make it you know, very distinctive. I love it. Same. Well, I love the work that you do. I mean, po- your podcast is great. The book, The Art of Being Mistakeable, um, is should be required reading for anybody that's in a leadership position. I do mean that. And I, it, I think it makes people, it's it's where we're going uh, in the world and society. Um, I just love the work that you're doing, Serena. I think it's just your fabulous stuff. So I can't thank you enough for all the, the work that you're doing. Mm, well, I, I appreciate it. And I, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Yeah. Last question. that's always kind of fun when we go up here. What if you could have the ultimate night, the ultimate dinner party, you could invite five people alive or dead. Who would those people be? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, Steve Jobs, Richard Branson. Um, let's see. Judd Apatow. Hey, cool. I like that. Yeah. Um, who else? So that's three. Al Pacino. Nice. I'm going to have a beautiful woman in there. Catherine Zeta-Jones. There you go. Um, that's well, five. Then I'd have you know, a lot of competition. <laughs> <laughs> that's four, right? That's five. Steve Jobs, Branson, Judd Apatow, Al Pacino, and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah, people from all different fields. That would be fun. I hope I can serve hors d'oeuvres. At least you can let me listen. <laughs> Yeah. I'd really like to meet Judd Apatow. That is a good one. No one's ever said that on the show. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think the guy is brilliant. To oh, he's, he's, yeah, he's great. I'd love to meet him. Al Pacino's good. I love that Godfather's my favorite movie. Mine was probably Son of a Woman. Really? Yeah. One of my favorites of all time. Why is that a favorite? I don't know. I, I mean, I saw maybe it's because I saw it when I was in like ninth grade or just because he's, I, I just loved his character. He's so charismatic. Yeah. He's a great actor. I love him. The guy I see him on now, and he wears like all these scarves, and his hair is all like basic. He's a crazy individual. I'd love to meet him too. Yeah, I bet. Well, guys, how can people connect with you as we? Check what's uh? I'll have um, links to all this in the show to find notes. Me really is, is unmistakablecreative.com. That's that's ideally where I'd, I want everybody to go. Perfect. Serene, thanks for coming on the show. Stick on the line. We'll talk for a little bit longer. But uh, yeah. my gosh, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.